Well, welcome, friends. Good to be joined by Kirk Moose, mooseministriesinc.com. Go to his website and learn a little bit about uh, his ministry and uh, check out all the good things that they have there. It's always good to see you. We get together twice a week, for sure. It's always good to be with you, Pastor. And it's so good to be here with you guys as well. Uh, we want to say welcome from the depths of our heart, and all the way from hot, hot, hot Texas. I mean, Ooh, wow. Pastor, I mean, think about it. Just, what, a couple weeks ago, we were just talking about how cool the weather was, and now we feel like we're full strung right in the middle of summertime. And, and it's such a drastic change, but only in Texas do they say, give it 30 minutes and it will change. So, but hey guys, let's open up in a word of prayer real quick. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we ask you just to prepare our hearts as we speak to the people. And Lord, we ask you to prepare their hearts to receive the words that you have for them. Father, we just declare grace. We declare favor. We declare peace over each and every person that's listening today and who will listen to the recording. We just declare a mercy that will go before them and begin to break down the barriers in their life that hold them back. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We gather together for this purpose and time of this time for just to enjoy uh, fellowship together and hopefully encourage you a little bit. We got started during the uh, uh, height of when we all were shut down for the virus, yes. and uh, we've just continued to do this and appreciate the response that we received and and uh, continue to receive uh, going forward with this. So uh, just have time of encouragement, and I wanted to, to begin tonight talk a little bit about something. Uh, I'm a pastor, you know, I preach every week, and sometimes um, you have something that's more of a revelation when you preach. It's not just a message. It's something you know God is is imparting and speaking to people, and you kind of hate that because it's over on Sunday night, and then you move on to next Sunday. And uh, there, there's some truths to go back and explore and look at, not rehash something that's obvious, but to go back and see a little depth of, uh, of material. i um, been talking about ramping back up. Um, I made the illustration to our church many times that coming out of the virus, we would ramp uh, back up. It wouldn't be an on and off switch. People would begin to gradually come back, and and that's exactly what's happening. Matter of fact, we think we're going to be ramping up all summer uh, long as people begin to come back and feel comfortable being in large groups, all of those things. But while I was doing that on a practical level, I really felt moved in my heart that God said, I want to also ramp the people up. And I said, what what does that mean? So, you know, I know what a ramp is, but I looked it up just to get the definition exactly. And, you know, a ramp, the first definition I saw said a ramp is is that which takes you from one level to another, gives you access from one level to another. And it's inclined, you know. And so I, I saw that and I thought, wow, we need to go up a level. So we've been talking about some things about, you know, ramping up in our relationship with God to prepare these for us for these times we're living in. And we are living in some unusual times. It's not just the virus, but now with the uh, other issues that are confronting our uh, country with uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and the the, the uh, African American man that was was murdered or killed there by a policeman and all of these things have, have broke out in protest and rioting and looting some in our our big cities and uh, boy there's just a lot of uh, 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 instability and I, I want you to know as well going for the next six months I wish I could tell you it's going to get better but we're moving into election season and. And that's just going to get worse, I'm afraid, in terms of the us against them. I was studying my Bible, and I was looking at a passage in a time in history, and it hit me 
just like today. Because, you know, when I looked at this time in history in David's time, David's day, it was a thousand years before Christ was born. And uh, I was looking at what was going on. Uh, David had had been set aside as a, as a young teenager when Samuel the prophet came to his house and asked his dad, Jesse, to line his sons up because one of them needed to be anointed to be the future king of Israel. And uh, Jesse, the father, lined all of his sons up, but uh, Samuel said, something's wrong. God told me to come here, but but I don't That's feel right. it for any of them. He said, well, I got this one boy, but he's weird. He's out there in the field saying poetry in the air, and, and just he's not he, he's not the one. And they brought him in. And I, I love this description. It's one of the few times in the Bible, especially in the ancient world, where we get a description of the person. Oh, yeah. And our King James, or in New King James Version, translates it like this. as, And David was ruddy and had bright eyes and was good-looking. Now, that word good-looking doesn't necessarily mean what it means to us today. It means he was different-looking. And I believe the ruddy part, he was red-headed. In a nation full of dark-skinned, dark-haired people, he stood out mightily and uh, with oh, yes. fair complexion and, and uh, bright eyes, all of this. And so he comes in, well, immediately, you know, God said, I don't look at man like you look at man on the outside. I look at the heart. And so David was anointed, but then it was... This is the thing, it was 10 years at least, probably longer, before he would ever see the throne. And, uh, you know, when you, you know, that first anointing that, and by the way, anointing is nothing more than the ancient world of pouring oil, olive oil, over uh, someone or something to separate it for service. And they, they did this ceremonially for their kings and for their prophets and their priests, and also for some of the tabernacle furniture as well. So he was anointed there. It was a very spiritual anointing because the Holy Spirit came upon him from that point forward. Uh, but he was still a young man. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he still had issues in, in, in his life and then still had to grow and learn. And it was many years later, over 10 years later, like I said, when the men of Judah, which was one of the tribes, came to him and anointed him over their whole region, over their, their tribe. And then after that, he was anointed a third time when he was anointed by all of Israel. And when they came together and anointed him to king over the whole nation, all the tribes in unity together doing that. And so you see a ramp up in his life. That's right. You know, from one level to the next, you know, being uh, uh, being uh, uh, anointed. But the interesting thing is that when he got to that last time, there was a huge division in Israel between the house of Saul, who was the current king, uh, and the house of David. And David's, the Bible says David's was growing stronger and stronger, and Saul was growing weaker and weaker, but there was a great division. Now, just think about this. The entire nation was in a crisis. They had divided themselves into two parties, two sides, two candidates, two big issues, and there was even whispering of civil war that might break out, and the time for civility was over with. They, they, if you mention David, or you mentioned Saul, you divided the crowd. You might have divided the family. You divided the... And as I described that uh, Sunday, it was as if I was saying a description of the day we're living in today, but this happened 1,000 years before Christ. Well, you talk about dividing the family. Think about it. Saul wanted to kill David, even to the point where he threw his spear. Yes. Well, Saul's son took him and hid him away and said, let me just double check with my dad to see if he really means it. And then he finds out he really wants to. And then he sneaks David out. Yes. So you talk about a house divided. Not only that, but Michael, Saul's daughter, 
wanted to hide David when he she knew that her yes. dad wanted to harm him. And he, oh no, he's not here. And she, he's like, what are you doing, daughter? Yes. Are you not on my side? Are yes. you not with me? And so even in Saul's house himself, he found his own home divided because they could see that something was off, something was wrong, something had tainted the anointing that was on their father. You believe I've already, and this isn't surprising to anybody to hear this, but I've already been called upon uh, in several families, uh, not even locally here, but you know, nowadays we're connected uh, still everywhere uh, by the internet. But I've been called upon families that are divided over some of the issues that are going on in our country right now, and they say, "Help us! We're 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 at each other's throats in our own home." Uh, made me think about my history as a family. I'm from East Tennessee, where uh, both of us are from there, and uh, my family and the Klingons had in Klingon Ridge, which is in Cleveland, Tennessee now. Uh, they, uh, my great ancestor, you know, would be my great great grandfather, I guess, uh, Alexander Adams Klingon. Uh, he's buried there in a big Klingon family cemetery, and he had a lot of kids. And he was married to Martha Blythe, and Blythe Ferry there was named after. And he, they had a lot of kids, and and he actually had sons that fought on the Confederate and sons that fought on the Union side. And so my family, actually family history, had a family that was divided in the in the Civil War. So, you know, it's a it's a real common thing. Here, here's the point from the scripture is though, looking back and seeing just how how divided they were as a nation, and then all at once they didn't go to war. Matter of fact, the opposite happened. They came together in a unity that was forged. And listen, out of that, the greatest kingdom in Israel's history right. uh, came to pass. Now, Solomon, David's son, would have a kingdom that would be larger, and he had a lot more stuff, but he was not the man spiritually that David was. And so this was the greatest time in the history. And God even gave a promise, a covenant to David, that of his seed, uh, the throne uh, would always be passed down to. And obviously we know when Jesus came, he said, I'm the son of David. I'm of that, of that seed. And so it's a, it's a beautiful picture there. But the question is, how did they avert civil war? And how did they take all this division and become unified? Well, that last time that they came together uh, to anoint him, uh, in Second Samuel chapter 5, there's three verses that tell about it. But there's another book in the Old Testament called Chronicles. And in First Chronicles, it chronicles information. And so it goes back to that time and takes almost a whole chapter telling what happened during the, what only three verses covers in Second Samuel. And that was that huge anointing. And it's, it's a powerful passage of Scripture. Yes. I would encourage you. I don't have time to, to look at it uh, in detail with you now. But if you go to First Corinthians chapter 12, it's verses 23 through 40. And the first, um, you know, probably uh, 20 plus verses of that is listing each tribe that came, the 12 tribes, each one of them that came to represent their their tribe. And it was saying, you know, they had, some of them were mighty in warfare, or others had uh, ability with spears, and another one could do this. And, I, and they came together, these very separate tribes. I got to sit here and hear myself saying that. And I say, there was 13 colonies that were incredibly different. And they came together. You know what brought those 13 colonies together? The preaching of George Whitfield and the First Great Awakening. That's what brought them together. You won't learn that in history books uh, that you went to school with. But that's what forged an alliance when they found out this 13 colonies had more in common they, with the New World than they did with the Old World. And ultimately, it would lead to a political connection. It would be the U.S. Revolution and the birth of the United States of America. There's one other thing that helped draw them together. That's the increasing pressure from... Britain. Yeah, yes. And that's another thing we see yeah. in our current situation today. 
whether it's the coronavirus or the political yes. unrest or the riots, it doesn't really matter. There's pressure that each and every person awesome. is starting to feel. Well, we have a choice at that point. Mm-hmm. We either allow the pressure to break us or we allow the Holy Spirit to yes. begin to apply His anointing mm-hmm. to us. And what, what, what else is that? He also lets the heat of His presence get in yes. there. And as the heat with well, the pressure good. mixed together, it begins to solidify the substance that you are yes. and it creates a diamond. So if you're in the middle of a situation with pressure, mm-hmm. we should do more like what Paul says. We should rejoice in all tribulation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's the moment at work, yes. like I've had a couple of times recently, where the pressure is so great, and every moment you're like, "God, I don't, I don't take this. I'm not going to let this rule my life." You should rejoice in the moment of your pressure. You should rejoice in all tribulation. Yes. Why? Because it's a moment where He can use it for His glory to build you up and make you better than you've ever been before. So, you know, when you say that, Kurt. And, and well, how true that is, and the, and the Scripture is so full of that, as we personally face uh, these issues and, and we respond to it like he, he was saying and how we can find victory over that. And I, I'm excited about these challenges because I know that victory is coming in people's lives. But one of the things that really caught me about the time under David when the nation, much like our nation today, was divided, and yet they came together and found victory. It was this. There was a, a unity that came to the whole nation. There was a anointing. Again, they're pulling oil on David. but And that last time when he's anointed over all, it's as if that anointing was all over the whole nation and its representatives that were gathered in the city of Hebron for that, that special anointing. And that's what I believe uh, is a new step beyond that. You yes. know, in America, uh, we tend to, uh, talk a whole lot about the individual and uh, you know your individual and you know and we've even preached it for years you know it's an individual decision that you have to make in order to make Jesus Lord of your life and all that that's true and then we talk about individually how you can prosper in in, in the relationship with God and and all of these things We're, we tend to focus our sermons our teaching and all of that but when you read the Bible it's a uh, it's a second person plural most of the place especially in the New Testament I, I've been preaching for many years, and I like to preach through books of the Bible. I've preached through the book of Ephesians three times in my entire ministry, and the first two times I did it, I talked about your inheritance, your standing before God, your family, your responsibilities, all of those things, and then I read my Greek New Testament by the time I got to the third one and realized, you know, in, in our English language, we really just have Y-O-U for plural and singular, and you have to find the context. Of course, if Paul had been blessed to be born in Tennessee, he would have said y'all for that second one. That would have solved everything, you know. But he said you on each one. And so you have to know which one's plural. And the entire book of Ephesians is plural. He's speaking not to an individual. He's speaking to a church. And so that whole church there. And I've I've got to read you this one uh, point when 1 Chronicles details the nation coming together again. They were about to go to war with each other and, and abolish each other just and, you know, do untold damage. And yet they came out of this with not war, but peace and unbelievable prosperity and blessings from God that came upon them. So and it tells about all of these men, stout-hearted men, men who had shields, men who had spears. But when it gets down to the last part of it, it's in First Chronicles 12 and verse 38, he mentions, and I'm not going to go through these, but eight things that, that characterize that meeting. And the very first one is this. These men of war 
who were men who could keep ranks. Now, that's the New King James Version that keeps ranks. I looked that up, and a lot of different versions translate it differently because what it really means is they were able to stand in battle formation, and when the pressure came, they didn't run. That's right. And, and you know, up until the probably uh, the, I, I'm not expert on this, but probably I would say almost World War I uh, from history, all the way to World War I, it was battle formations that went out on the field and and fought these battles, and it was imperative that men uh, stood in battle formation. If you broke the rank and ran it, give the enemy an opening in that area. And so I just think that's a very powerful statement because spiritually I believe what that means is for us today that we have a people that come under the anointing of the Holy Spirit who are willing to stand their ranks in times of difficulty and pressure. Now, it's really interesting because the New Testament says this. You know, people always talk about, you know, in the end times there's going to be a great revival, and I believe there's some teaching on that in the latter and early reign, that, but it's not near as clear as what Paul taught when he said in the last days it, this will not happen until the great falling away comes first. The Greek word there is apostasy. Apostasy happens. We always think of apostasy as someone who had posted a position they believe in, but then they confessed. In other words, they walked away from their faith. I no longer believe in Jesus. They believed in him. That's apostasy. But it's not just verbal. It's physical right. too. So in other words, God assigns you and me a post and we're to, we're to stand at that post until he relieves us as the commander-in-chief. And what I find today is people all the time want to say, well, Pastor Barry, when the end times come rolling around and, you know, the devil shows up with a pitchfork and horn, I'll stand with Jesus. Well, it's not going to happen that way because, listen, I see people leave their positions over trivial matters. And then they turn around and think they're going to be able to stand against, you know, great deception and great difficulty and great pressure that, you know, he was talking about. We learned this along the way. One, one of the things I wanted to explore a little bit, uh, Kirk, there was, you know, David remembering David was anointed by God. But like I say, it was over 10 years, over a decade before he would assume the throne. And, uh, you know, I think you know what I mean when I say, have you ever felt like there's something in you greater than what you're experiencing right now? You know, I mean, I heard one preacher say it's like a college degree. You've got a college oh, degree yeah. and you're doing that? You know, what's wrong with you? You know, and, and that, you know, to David, you've got the anointing of God and you're keeping sheep and you're running from the wilderness later. Um, that progression is incredibly important to recognize that though God has called us and anointed us, we gotta, we have to go through these pressure points to further and deepen our character and everything you were saying a minute ago, you know, go strong in those things so that one day, you know, there's some things today in my life you can't talk me out of. <laughs> I've settled these issues. I've been through too much. I've been through too many struggles. I've been through too many difficult moments. I know what's real in my life. You can't tell. When I was younger, you might have kind of could have done that, but I've walked with God too long to know certain things are are so real to me, they're, they're, they're more real than what I see with my eyes, you know. And so to me, that's very important, that whole progression. I think that's what you were talking about, you know, oh, yeah. fighting those battles because each battle prepares us for the future. Well, if we talk about even, like you were mentioning, King David, mm -hmm. that during that 10-year period, we see that he was on and off in caves, in hiding. Even at one point, he lived for a season amongst his enemies, 
Yes. Even sure fighting when the enemy thought that he was going to be on their side, he would when they'd go to war, he'd start warring against the enemy's people while the main army was away, That's... risking his own life. So we see a man that was hunted by the king he was serving, but what did he do? He defended the borders of the nation that was trying to kill him. <laughs> Why? He was anointed to be the king of Israel. Well, he knew what his post would be. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the season for him to walk into it. That's it. But because it wasn't the season for him to walk in it, he took that time mm-hmm. as a time to become prepared. What do I mean by prepared? It's kind of like it, we were talking earlier about bronzing and the bronzing process. Mm-hmm. Well, we also talked about how bronze is used in ships because it re, it's like metal against metal. It resists that friction. Mm-hmm. And it also resists the corrosive abilities of the salt in the Mm -hmm. ocean, which Mm -hmm. is amazing to me. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like if David, when he was in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. he was allowing the Holy Spirit, allowing God just to coat him with a coating that it wouldn't matter if it was the devil himself, another Mm -hmm. king, his own wife, someone within his own household, like his son, Absalom. You know, it would not shake his foundations in the word. Why? Because we know that David was both king and priest to the point to where even his people and his wife, he would dance before the Ark of the Covenant when he brought that in and not care a thing about what they said. And she she was a daughter of Saul. Yes. And there's no doubt that she, uh, it, we call her Michael in the Bible. It's Michal in the Hebrew, but it's easier to just say Michelle or Michael for her name. But she... Uh, was a representative of that old religious yes. tradition. She loved the trappings of being a queen. She loved uh, she loved all the form. The yeah, yeah, and 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 then all at once, here comes her, her new husband, the new king, and he takes off his royal garments and whirls before the Lord in abandoned praise before God. And isn't it amazing? He does that just like he did as a shepherd boy, and now he's the king, and he does. You can always find out about a leader. I've said this for years, you know, you, you, what does a leader do the minute they assume office? You know, I always remember J, George H.W. Bush, King George I, if I get, no, we don't need to call him that, but anyway, he uh, was, a, it was, a, it was an interesting man. He passed away a couple of years ago, and I've read his biography, and just an incredible life story as an American, but it was a really funny thing. He was not the kind of person that wore his faith on his sleeve. But the day he was sworn into office, and right as he stood up to give a speech, you know what the first thing he did? He asked the nation to bow their heads, and he led us in a prayer. I'd never heard a president pray out loud in my whole life. I guess I have since. And and to hear him do that uh, and honor God is the very first thing he did when he became president. I think that says a lot about the character yes. of a man who 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 did did that. And I, you know, David did that when he became king. And but you know what? She made fun of him. And I love preaching on this, especially back in the worship wars we had years ago in church when people didn't like the changes and things that were going on because, you know, she said, you were so undignified. And he looked at her and he said, well, first of all, I didn't dance before you. I danced before the the king. So see, he had settled those issues through his wilderness, through the times alone with God. You know, he had settled those. And what brought him to that point? Now, Mm -hmm. you guys may or may not be able to see it, but my shirt says collide. There was a youth event back in Tennessee at our church where both of us were ordained. And it was called the collide event for Mm -hmm. students. Well, 
the whole thing about collide is you're supposed to have a collide or a collision or an yeah. encounter with God. Well, see, that's what happened to David. When David mm-hmm. was in the wilderness, he had a collision course experience mm-hmm. with his king, the king of kings. So, like you said, he mm-hmm. already settled it. I am going to worship before the king of kings, the one that's above me, even though I'm the king of Israel, and I'm going to let him sit on the throne of my life. And that's what God wants from you and me. He -hmm. wants all of us to surrender everything to him so that Mm -hmm. he can completely bronze us over with his presence, with his anointing. It reminds me of, like we were talking about earlier, uh, during the process of preparation, the soldiers in Rome, would get prepared by oil being rubbed on their skin before battle. Mm-hmm. And the whole purpose was it was trying to prevent the sword strikes from mm-hmm. hurting them. Yes. Well, if you and I get in the presence of God and allow Him to bronze us over with His power, with His anointing, with His grace and mercy, doesn't matter if it's the world, doesn't matter if it's family, mm-hmm. political system, some mm-hmm. sort of riot. It doesn't matter what that hurt or heartache could try to be towards you. His presence will protect you from the things that are trying to become a friction point against you. Exactly. And then, you know, remember this too, when we talk about this whole thing built around David as an anointed and, you know, the oil and all that. And you say, well, boy, isn't that great? David, you know, he was a king, a future king, and God did this in his yep. life. But it's really wonderful, like so many things. And obviously, everybody understands that anointing of the oil in the Old Testament was a picture of the Holy Spirit uh, in in the life of a person, the, the presence of God on us. And as a matter of fact, Psalm 133 gives a picture of the high priest when he was anointed. And it said they poured, they, you know, they we, we anoint people with a little dab today, but they poured the oil <laughs> over them. And it said it ran down his beard all the way to his garments. And when he was standing there and anointing, that was a picture of the church. Jesus, our head, the oil flows from him down yes. in, into all of us. But remember, when we get to the New Testament, we're all anointed. If we follow Christ as our Savior, you know, Second Corinthians 1, 20 or 21 there says that, uh, we, you know, that God has anointed us in Christ. He's anointed us. So we, we have experienced that that anointing on him. I, I like when I preached a whole series on the anointing one time, we can define it in terms of what they actually physically did in the Old Testament, but but you can't define the anointing. You know, the anointing today is when someone is so consumed by the presence of God that whatever they're doing goes to a whole new level. If, if you're a Christian and you've attended worship and you go to worship, you know the difference when singers singing in the power and energy of their That's own right. ability and when God's on them. And the same thing's true of a preacher. Or, and the same thing's true of you and whatever you're called to do and what you're doing. You know the difference of grinding it out and flowing. And the flow is that anointing that comes upon us. And uh, I, I used to love to tell a story about, I've told it so many times, it's crazy, but, uh, you know, a preacher one time was getting up to preach, and, and uh, he called on one of his men to pray for him beforehand, and the guy said, oh, Lord, please anoint our preacher. And the preacher like, you know, what, what is that? You know, and so then later they took up the offer, and he called on the same man to pray, and the man said, oh, Lord, please anoint our preacher. And he's like, what is he talking about? And then the third time at the end of the service, he called on the same man to pray. And the man said, Lord, please anoint our preacher. So he went to the man when church was over. And he said, look, you prayed three times a day for me. What is this anointing you're talking about? And the wise man in the church looked at him and says, Preacher, I don't know what it is. All I know is you ain't got it. You know, and that's <laughs> that's we know when it's not there, is what we're talking about. But God has given us the ability, all of us, to 
that function that that rich uh, thing. I would encourage you to go back and read First Chronicles twelve when the nation and think about this. If you really want to see this whole picture, you know they were much like us, divided, two warring factions. Almost civil war seemed like was on the horizon, and yet they came together not in war but in unity that brought the kingdom that is still talked about to this day and is is one of the greatest times. On what was the difference? They got anointed. They got under the presence of God. Real spiritual awakening and revival takes place. I go back all the time. Uh, my history with my family in this country, I'm a seventh generation clinging. My great time seven uncle signed the Articles of Confederation, served with George Washington in battle at Princeton and Brandywine, and, and was a delegate to the uh, uh, to the what do you call it? The Continental Congress. They're trying to get it out uh, w- with Benjamin Franklin from Pennsylvania. I have his paper, a copy of his papers, where he was sent as a delegate uh, to that, and uh, he actually signed and as part of that Congress the first resolution Congress ever made to make a day of prayer uh, for for our nation. And so I, I love this history and everything. But when you go back and look at it, you really see there were thirteen colonies that were founded by different nations and different peoples had totally different laws and. They were very different, but when George um, Whitfield and when the Wesley brothers came over and began to preach and revival broke out, and, you know, as always when revival breaks out, it's controversial because Whitfield was criticized by the preachers of his day for preaching the Word of God out in the open instead of in a building. Well, where do you get that in the Bible? I mean, Jesus preached in the outdoors, you know. They didn't have uh, big places like we have. So that, that revival that broke out in the tens of thousands of people that came into the kingdom of God, provided that unity and foundation of which later a political unity was built upon when the um, uh, Declaration of Independence was signed and we became the United States of America. I need, we need to ha- that to happen again. One of the biggest problems that they were facing amongst these big revivals is it was messy. Oh, yes. And what happens? Most it people is. don't like it when it gets messy. Yes. <laughs> but what do we see? Of type and shadow throughout the Word of God, mm-hmm. especially with the anointing of the way they would anoint with the oil, and it, w- it talks about dripping through the beard. Yes. Which means it was saturated. You can say that literally. It, and it literally <laughs> would drip from the beard. That's why when he was talking about earlier, I was doing this, because yeah. it was literally a picture. You could see the oil soaking, and then it would just drip from the beard. Well, it's a messy thing. Yes. And yes. God doesn't want it to be clean. Yes. Why? Because we need to let him get in our business. Mm-hmm. If he's not in our business, we're not any a part of his business. Mm-hmm. We need to talk. We need uh, uh, the next couple of weeks have a night where we just talk about national revival and, and spiritual awakening. And, you know, some people today would say because we've never seen it in our lifetime that God can't do it like he did it in the past. But I think the opposite. I think uh, horseback you know, uh, riding circuit preacher that united the colonies and brought a tremendous thing. We call it the Great Awakening, yep. you know, that took place in our country's history. But how much more today with what we're doing right here? We got people joining us from all over the United States. I get cards, I get notes or emails, I should say, from people uh, that are in so different locations and different places. Look how quickly we can communicate today. I think we're right more than ever before uh, for that. We need to talk about that one night, and then, Lord willing. This Saturday night, we're going to take some time to talk about dreams, your own personal dreams, and how God uses dreams to to uh, uh, bring about a revelation in our life about what He uh, is doing. So look look forward to, to those times. And if you do, log in to mooseministriesinc.com. I'm going to step out here and say this. I haven't talked go, to Barry about this first. And if you go to prayer and you submit your dreams, we'll look over and pray over one or maybe two dreams 
and let, ask the Lord to tell us what they mean so that we can give you some type and well type like examples mm-hmm. of the biblical model of interpretation because there's a difference between the psychological model and the biblical model mm-hmm. and if you do it the biblical way it's very pointed it follows the word of god and it will never contradict what god is saying in his word there's always a group of people i'm going to start this off on saturday but i'm going to tell it, end it today with this but I, I read the most, and you, I hadn't told you, I read the greatest story this week about Mark Rutland, a great, great man of God, uh, who at one time was uh, president up here at Oral Roberts University and has pastored some churches, tremendous writer. Uh, but he told a story, I read about a story he told, he was on the airplane, and he's from a tradition where God speaks, where we believe God still speaks into our hearts. And it just so happened a preacher sat right next to him on the plane that was from this tradition that says God doesn't speak anymore. He said everything he wanted to say in the Bible, and he you don't think you hear from God anymore. He's finished saying everything he wants to say. Well, I don't agree with that, and most people don't, but there are a lot of people who try to say that. And so the, he just wanted to be left alone, but the guy went on and just said, I can't believe you preach all that stuff where God's talking and all that. He said, do you ever even doubt that you were called to be a man of God in the pulpit when you spread this nonsense? And Rutland looked back at him and just simply said, who called you? Now think about it. If Jesus called you, you had to hear his voice and go into the ministry as a result of that. I think the guy didn't say another word the rest of the plane flight, you know, after that. So we do believe, oh my, we couldn't live without it. Every, you That's know, right. We live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father. He'll never speak. Obviously, you got to almost say this as a, a disclaimer. We know he never will speak in contradiction to what he's already said, but oh, he's not dead. Dead people don't speak. Living people speak, and our Savior is alive, and he has much to say into our lives and speak to us. So we're going to talk about that. Join with us on uh, Saturday evening at 7 o'clock, and we'll try to spend a little time talking about dreams and, and what they mean. Well, we're going over time, Mr. Kirk, so we're going to have to say goodbye today. <laughs> Guys, we appreciate you coming once again. If you need a prayer request and you'd like to contact Pastor Barry, you could always email him directly at Barry. B. Clinging. Excuse me, B. Clinging at trophylakes.org. Yes. Guys, God bless you all. Have a good day. Great. God bless you.